You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. I think all of us in our life have this person. By this person, I mean the person that no matter how bad it is, like short of death, just refuses to go to the doctor in the hospital, right? Like, I mean, you could have your arm chopped off, just bleeding out, and it's just a flesh wound. Like, I don't need to go to the doctor, right? You know that person. Maybe you are that person. Maybe you're married to that person. If so, just give a real judgmental elbow right now. You guys see those elbows. You know who you are, right? Maybe it is you that if you just never want, I'm fine. You're hacking up blood, but I'm fine. Now, everybody around you, what is their only recourse? The only thing they can do is to convince you how sick you are to convince you that you need to get help. And again, you're like, I'm fine. Like, well, yeah, but it's turning green. It's starting to smell. You need help. I say that and mention that because we all kind of know that type of person. But that's right where we're at in Romans. Right, He unveiled the good news, but you can never grasp the good news until you truly grasp the depth of the bad news. And he's got to convince, listen, man, all of us, we are worse off than we realize. And I want you to experience salvation, but assumed in that is, okay, well, we got to be saved from something. And he's going to unpack that for the next couple weeks. He starts with the good news. Right? And Pastor Rick did a wonderful job kind of getting us into the book of Romans. The thesis of Romans is the gospel. This is from last week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I don't know if you know this. This is the verse that sparked the Reformation. It was Martin Luther studying the book of Romans and meditating on this passage that as the gospels kind of got distorted through the years that he saw the gospel come to life. Martin Luther reads this and says, I was born again of the Holy Spirit. I saw the gates of paradise fling open wide before me and I walked right through. My hope for all of us is that you see the glory of paradise, just the open, the gates wide open of an invitation to experience God and that you walk right through and experience that. I hope that for everyone. But what I know is you'll never do that. You will never experience that good news until you really wrestle with the bad news. We're going to celebrate Easter Sunday. You will never understand the significance of Easter Sunday until you wrestle with Good Friday. We have a service for on Good Friday. Y'all are invited. We should have good attendance this year. Because you have to understand that. Or else you'll never understand this. And so Paul has to help us understand we are more sick than we realize. We are in more trouble than we realize. And so, if you're new to us, promise to stick around till Easter. 
Because he's going to spend the better part of three chapters talking about the bad news to convince us to accept the good news. So this morning, we're going to go through the reality, the reason, and the result. That's where we're going to break out the rest of Romans 1. That's how we're going to break it up. So let's dive into that together. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Reality is your friend. So let's dive into the cold, hard reality. We just sang it. You don't doubt it. God is holy and righteous. We are unrighteous. And God, being who God is, the wrath of God is upon all of us that are, that are sinners, which is all of us. You see that? The unrighteousness of men. Now, there's a lot of argument in the Bible of like gender-inclusive language. And this is one, nobody's fighting for that one. You read unrighteousness of men, all the ladies are like, yeah, men are dogs. That's the problem. That's unrighteousness of all people, ladies. That includes you too. All of us are sinners. The wrath of God, the judgment of God is upon all of us because all of us have experienced this ungodliness and unrighteousness. Again, stick around till Easter, but we got to deal with the reality. We don't like this. We don't like this idea of a judgmental God. And so we just choose not to believe it. But look how God has revealed himself. Listen listen to one commentator, Douglas Moo, about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not, of course, an emotional rage, but a steadfast and absolute opposition to all that is evil. It is essential to the character of God. As long as God is God, he meets sin with his mighty and annihilating reaction. We can't deny it. This is who God has revealed himself to be, but we don't like that, so we just choose not to believe it. Believing something to not be true has no bearing on whether it is actually true. And so then, how do we determine what is true? What is reality? This is the revealed word of God, that the wrath of God is upon us. I want you to think of this. Like, how do you think I would feel in this situation? Say I'm in a conversation. You know, I met somebody at church this morning and I told him, hey, you know, getting to know myself and tell him, yeah, I graduated from Still Rocks High School. I did pretty good. And, you know, I ended up going on to Kent State, graduated Kent State with honors, went on to get my Bible degree. And that person turned around and looked at me and said, you know what? I don't really think you're the college type. I'm just going to choose to believe that you didn't go to college. How do you think I'd feel? One, I'd be insulted that you think I'm a big dummy. Like, that would hurt a little bit. But I think I would just be confused. Like, I told you this is what's true of me, and you responded with, I don't really think that's true. How do you think God feels when we do that to him? God says, of course, we just celebrate God is loving, gracious, and forgiving. But God says, I am holy, and I will pour my wrath upon all sin. And we turn back at God and go, I don't really believe that. 
I'm going to just choose to believe there's not a hell and there's not judgment because I don't really like that. I think God, like me, in some level would be confused. Like, listen, you have to wrestle with this. And I'm not trying, right? Nobody wants to just be a fire and brimstone preacher of you're all sinners and you're all under the wrath of God. But we have to deal with reality. And I don't say that to beat you up. I say that. I want you to experience the good news and you never will until you genuinely wrestle with the bad news. Listen to what John Stott said about this idea. Nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to admit it. Deny the problem and nothing can be done about it. Admit the problem and at once there is a possibility of a solution. It is significant that the first of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is we admit we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. It is crucial to you experiencing the good news of the gospel. The reality is God is holy. We are not. And God will judge all sin. It's a part of, that's why I love that first quote, it's a part of his character. God can't help but to judge sin. God reacts to sin the way I react to tea. Right? The second somebody gives it to me, I'm disgusted. Like, as soon as that pigeon sweat hits my mouth, I want to spit it out. It's gross. I'm very passionate about coffee, as you can tell. I shouldn't use a silly example. We're talking about the wrath of God, but that's just who I am. That's how God is when he has experiences sin, he spits it out. He can't help but to judge. And that's the reality we all need to come to grips with. And I don't say it to beat anybody up. I say it so we can see, just like that person you love, listen, I want you to be healed, but to experience healing and help, you need to acknowledge you're sick. Are you in that place where you're ready to acknowledge something's not right and I'm ready to admit that so I can experience healing? Admit the bad so you experience the good. And that's the reality of all of us. All of us have turned away and under the judgment and wrath of God. And so what is the reason? Right? What is the reason God can justly judge us? And let's dive into the meat of the passage together. This passage continues on in Romans 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The reality is the wrath and judgment of God upon all of us. And what is the reason? You see it clearly laid out here. right? Although we knew God, We did not honor God. We did not give God the place God deserves in our life. We rejected that. And instead of 
Worshipping the creator, we worshipped his creation. We live for things we shouldn't have lived for. Namely, ourselves. Right? We took God away from his rightful place in our lives, and we decided we're going to be God of our own lives. And instead of worshipping him, we're going to worship other things. And you can fill in the blank. What is it that you're living for when all of us know we should be living for God? That is the reason for the wrath of God upon us. We've exchanged the glory of God. And instead of living for God and honoring God as we know we should, we've rejected that and we've lived for other things. I mean, that's a picture of idolatry. Not only does he give us the reason for why we are all under the judgment of God, he gives the reason to me, this was so helpful, why God can do that and it's still fair. This is where this passage really began to minister to me. Right? We don't like the idea of hell and judgment, so we reject it. I think most of us don't really have a problem with judgment. Does anybody really have a problem with justice? I don't think so. I think we have a problem with injustice. And I think that's why we reject judgment in hell. It just doesn't seem fair to us. Instead of allowing God to be judged, we think, oh, my judgment is that's not fair, so I'm not going to believe it because that seems, you know, unjust and unfair. And God began to speak to me, right? We have rejected God, and here's why it doesn't seem fair. You know, if some people haven't really heard and really been given the opportunity to experience God, how can we rightly say that we've rejected God and we haven't really experienced him and so therefore judgment would not be fair. I thought of the overtime rules of the NFL. You know, you changed them and then they changed them again and even the Super Bowl team didn't know the changes but it's neither here nor there but I think it was a helpful change because it used to be you'd go into overtime, you flip a coin, they get the ball, they get like two first downs, kick a field goal, and you lose, and the other team could rightly say, that wasn't fair. Like, I didn't really get a fair shot. And I think that's a legit excuse. And so they changed it. And that's how I think sometimes I projected injustice and unfairness onto God. It doesn't seem like people have been given a fair shot. And how can you say people have rejected you and judged them for it? You think of that old kind of icebreaker question. Somebody, if you could ask God one thing, what would you ask? You all think of your answer. Most people would be some semblance of the problem of evil of why did you allow this? Mine is always, I can wrap my head around bad things happening. The one that had more sting to it than me that I want to ask God is God. Why haven't you made yourself more obvious? Like, why do you just seem to sit on the back burner? You create this. Man, I would love it if you would just make yourself more plain to us, more obvious to us. That's where it would seem fair to say that we have rejected you. That's where God spoke to me. Like, God, why don't you make yourself plain? God said, I did. Look what we just read. God says, I have made myself plain to all people. I am clearly perceived. So don't, I have no right to look at God and say, you haven't made yourself known. People haven't heard, so therefore it's unfair. He's saying, people have known. I've revealed myself. They rejected me. It is fair. That word without excuse, 
Essentially, it just means without a word. Part of why I couldn't wrap my head around judgment is it seemed unfair. As I picture kind of the courtroom of God, I picture railing against God with a case that this isn't fair. I never heard. God says, yes, you have. Maybe you never heard the gospel, but you've heard about me. I actually think that courtroom is quieter than I thought because it says rightfully, everybody's without a word. Right? Everybody on some level knows, okay, there is a God and I have not been living for him the way I should and therefore judgment is fair and it is right because God has revealed himself to us and follow the flow of his argument. Because then you'd want to ask, well, wait a minute, that would be fair if that was the case, but how have you revealed yourself so plainly? What does he say? In the things that have been made. In creation, as God created us and put us in this wonderful creation, it is clear that all of us can perceive and know that there is a God, that there's something beyond this. Right? I took some pictures off the internet, some off my iPhone, right? How can you look at that and not acknowledge, man, there might be something more to this life? Not just nature. How do you look at his creation and not go, isn't it cute? I put, I put one with a little brown skin, a little peachy skin to make it extra cute. You're telling me you don't look at that and not think there might be more to this life? I'll give you some more beautiful brown skin for my family, right? Like, that's right down here. You don't look at that and wonder, man, there's got to be more to this. This is me and my wife just at a beautiful sunset. You can't look at that and deny, man, there's something more to this world. This is me and my daughter up in the national park. This isn't just an opportunity to show off my family. It is a little bit, though, right? That's a little bit what's happening. To be an atheist, to be an honest atheist, you have to look at that and say, you don't really love her. That's just chemical reactions in your brain. And that beautiful scenery isn't actually beautiful. That's time and chance. That's nothing but a mutant that has climbed out of the primordial soup. For real. Like I think all of us, when we look at nature, as we look at creation, as we look at those we love, inherently know there is something more to life. This is where theologians kind of develop these categories of general revelation and special revelation. Special revelation is God's word. I almost think kind of generic and specific, right? Special revelation is specific. That's how we know doctrine. That's how we know the gospel of what God has done. But this opens up this idea of general revelation. Some people call it natural revelation because it is what can be revealed in nature. And again, we don't know specifics, right? It's not like I can look at a a flamingo and go, I think God exists as trinity. And there's a trinity and it's three in one. Like I can't learn that from looking at a dolphin, right? But what I can is know there's more to this life. That there is a God and I am not living for him and I have taken him off his rightful throne. And that's the reason God can fully, justly judge us. 
Because we've had an opportunity and we've rejected it because we'd rather live for ourselves. This has also spawned kind of a whole school of apologetics of, okay, then what if, if nature can prove that, let's think about that a little bit. It has launched what some guys call kind of the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, right? Those are big fancy words, but basically to boil it down, we can look at nature, everything in nature with the scientific method that we can observe, right? Everything that exists was caused into existence. It has not existed in eternity past, right? Something had to cause that. Even that fancy new web telescope, as we're just seeing into the galaxy like never before, is showing us that our universe has been expanding. So if you follow it back, that means it started, Guess what? Something can't come from nothing. Philosophically, scientifically, you'd have to look at it and say, okay, there had to be, because that's the world we live in, is what they call an uncaused cause. There had to be something outside of time and space. Maybe you believe in the Big Bang. Somebody had to hit that button. Right? Something can't spur from nothing. We can know that as we look at his creation. And the teleological argument, as you look at this universe, it clearly looks to be designed. Remember looking at irreducible complexity. And even I've been watching a bunch of atheist arguments, and even the atheists have to acknowledge the fine-tuning of this universe is impressive, and it appears to be designed. I don't care who you are. To be honest, you have to say that. Got to take my son up to the car show. It's fun to, like, you know, go around, look at all the cars, sit in them. As you go in, and I sit in a Tesla, and I look at it, and I sit in all these fancy cars, how silly would it be for me to sit in this finely tuned machine and go, I bet you this came about by an accident. That's a horrid conclusion. You'd look at that and go, wow, somebody designed this. Listen, the universe is unbelievably more majestic, unbelievably better designed than any Tesla. Take your pick of a car. And we look at it and go, I wonder if that was just an accident. It's crazy. Do you understand if our world, if our earth was any bigger, any smaller, rotated any slower or any faster, revolved any slower or any faster, we could not exist. We'd fly off into the universe. We'd be sucked into the sun. If the moon wasn't exactly where it was, if the earth wasn't it tilted exactly the way it was. I just learned this. If Jupiter didn't exist exactly where it did, we couldn't have life. I never understood that. I mean, that's the big dog, right? Jupiter. Do you know why? That has such gravity that they say we would be hit with a thousand more asteroids if it's not for that planet. It's just like the bodyguard protecting Earth. and It sucks all the asteroids into Jupiter. We wouldn't be able to survive without it. God winds up, builds this beautiful, unbelievably, right? We can build a car. We can't build a universe. And we look at that complexity and say, ah, probably time and chance. It's a mathematical impossibility. Any card players out there? It's okay in church. I won't, you won't have to say you gamble, but it's okay. 
know what the odds are of getting a royal flush? It's right around like one in almost 700 million. You know what the odds are of getting two? Just about one in a billion. You know what the odds of getting five royal flushes in a row are? It's one in 28 sextatillions. They're making up numbers. There's no way that it's like 10 to the 22nd power. It sounds like a dirty number anyway. I don't even want to say it. Sextatillion. It's ridiculous. Listen to me. You're sitting down and playing cards with somebody. And they lay down five royal flushes. Would you say, why, sure, that's a lucky feller. That would be an insane conclusion. That's about mathematically what we're looking at in our universe. And we just look at our universe with the crazy, I'd say mathematical impossibility and say, wow, that's neat how that just happened. I don't think, and I could go off on this stuff, I actually don't think those apologetics are the problem. (laughs) Big Rudy fan. Almost cry every time I watch that movie. There's a great scene in Rudy. When he's struggling with these big questions of life and he goes into the church to see a minister, the minister reminds him of two irrefutable facts. Some of you maybe remember them. He says, listen, here's what I know. There's a God and I'm not him. It's something that sounds simple that's unbelievably profound. Here's the way, here's why I bring that up. I think we all pretend we wrestle with the first one and we hide behind that. But here's the deal. I think some of us Maybe wrestle with that. And it may seem simple. I think all of us wrestle with the second part. I don't think it's really an issue for us to believe, man, that there is a God. I think we have a horrible issue that I don't get to be him, particularly in my own life. I want to live how I want to live. And that's why I've taken God off his throne. So that's why I get to be God of my life. Here's a great quote. It's a funny thing about us human beings. Not many of us doubt God's existence and then start sinning. Most of us sin and then start doubting his existence. Is that a good quote? It's a great quote by Jay. Not even going to try that last name. (laughs) Right? What did we just read? They suppress the truth. What? By all the fancy intellectual arguments that you'll get on a college campus. No. We suppress the truth. Why? By our unrighteousness. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Do I have a problem with God? No. I have a problem not being God. Do I have a problem with justice? No. I have a problem with not getting to be the judge. And so we suppress it. And then when God judges us, he will be fully okay in that space. So that is the reason God judges us. We've rejected him and become our own gods. And what's the result? Kind of final move. How does God respond to this? The reality is we're under judgment. The reason is because we've rejected God. So how does God respond? Here's the last section in Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Doesn't that sound like our day? just given up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, the dishonoring of our bodies. So God, maybe you've gotten this way as a parent. We have totally cast God aside. You know what God said? Okay. 
He said, I'm not going to stop you. Maybe you've heard a parent say that, you know what? I'm trying to convince you. I, you might need to learn this the hard way, so I'm not going to stop you. Have at it. Did you catch what it was talking about, the wrath of God? I would have expected it to say the wrath of God will be revealed, future judgment. But it didn't say that. Now that is true, and that will be in Romans. All of us will stand before God and give a reckon, did we live for God, did we live for ourselves? But it says the wrath of God is revealed, present tense. How do we see some of the judgment of God in our lives? God's saying, okay, I'm going to let you live however you want. You try being the God of your life, and let's see how that plays out for you. I remember this huge shift, because part of God being God is I'm accountable to him. He gets to decide. And even I think of our prayer life. I remember one theologian kind of helping me see this. This was powerful. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I trust any theologian that has friends in low places, you know? (laughs) Always did. Right? That's where I thought this passage was really interesting. Sometimes. Sometimes, out of God's love for us, he'll say no to our prayers. Sometimes, out of God's wrath upon us, he says yes to our prayers exactly the way we asked them. I think that's a part of what he's doing. He says, okay, maybe you're in that spot where you've been trying to run your life your own way, and God's saying, hey, how is that working for you? Are you ready to give thanks to God and honor him as God? Or do you want to just keep trying to be the God of your universe and living in that chaos? The reality is God is holy. He will judge us. We will have to give and make account for our sins and he will judge us. And his wrath is upon us because we have rejected him when he has approached us. And the reality is, and the result of that, God says, okay, have at it. And I want to close with a couple things of application. As we talk about general revelation, I want you to receive general revelation. We just said God speaks to us through creation. God is plain and easy to perceive. Right now in your life, does God seem plain to see? Are you having a hard time? Seeing God? One of the ways, keep reading your Bible, but one thing we know from Scripture, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Part of your homework, I want you to get out in His creation and say, God, speak to me. I mean, just take a moment. You know, as you're in the busyness and trying to do a devotion, trying to get your kids, what if you stopped this week to watch a sunrise and say, God, will you just show me your majesty and just quietly sit and I bet you God speaks to you. We have a lot of college students. The sunrise is not for you. The nice thing is it sets on the other side. Just catch that bad boy on the way down. But seriously, take a walk. Go up to the national park and say, God, I'm having a hard time seeing you. Can you remind me of the good God that you are and watch him speak to you, obviously through his word, but through creation. But don't stop there. I want you to receive 
general revelation, but we need to give special revelation. As we think of those two categories, one of the big things you've got to understand is the limit of each. See, general revelation gets us to the point of condemnation, but it stops short of offering salvation. Right? All of us looking at general revelation can know there's a God and I'm not right with him. It can get us to the bad news, but someone has got to share the good news of what Jesus has done for them. And I want you to have so much courage in sharing your faith. That's my hope coming out of this. Because what did we just learn? That person you care about, that's far from God, that says they don't believe in God. I learned this this week. It sounds intense, but I think it's true. There actually is no atheist on this earth. Atheists don't really exist. Now, if you're an atheist, I'm glad you're here. I don't mean to offend you. Let me explain what I mean. Where did it say the truth is? It didn't say that they don't have the truth. It says they have it. They've just suppressed it. So when I share Christ with people, I don't need to beat the truth into them. I don't need to argue the truth into them. That person that you love, that you want to know Jesus, let me tell you something about it. They already know. Something's not right. They already know that there's a God that they long to connect with, and I don't need to beat that into them. I just need to dig away some of the garbage and the junk to allow that truth to come to a place where they can embrace it. Man, that gives me courage to know that there's a God, but to know that he came to save us. Let's share that. Everyone we know. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, it's amazing that we can be here, that we can pray, that we can speak to you. It's humbling that the invisible God made himself visible. That the unknowable God made himself knowable. That you revealed to yourself to us when you never have to. And we've turned away. We've turned away from you. And we've wanted to be our own gods and our own tiny universes. But thank you, not only that you are a God of wrath, but you sent your son to take the wrath that we rightly deserved so that we can experience the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.